Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be with you today as we continue our sermon series looking at the God who welcomes. And this morning, we're going to think about the God who welcomes the broken. And so this morning, I thought we'd have a bit of fun. And I thought I'd like to find out this morning, who of you amongst us are a little bit broken? Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. Put your hand up if you wear glasses or contact lenses. Yeah, a few secret contact lens wearers there. Good. Okay, put your hands up if you have a filling or would admit to having a false tooth. Quite a few, quite a few. Well done for those who don't, by the way. Very good. Okay, last one. Put your hands up if when you get out of a chair, you make sound effects. Like, oh, ah, ee, yes, yes. I, I kind of want to get you to stand up at that point so I can hear the sound effects, but I won't. And um, the truth is that we're all broken in some way, aren't we? And as we go through this incredible passage of Scripture, I'd love to pull out two key points. They are not rocket science. You've probably heard them before, but they are no less important. People are broken and God loves the broken. So we're going to be thinking firstly about how the man in John chapter 5 was broken and then move on to look at how Jesus responded to that man. And that hopefully will give us some hints and tips as we go from this place so that we can live out this stuff during the week. So let's begin by looking at the fact that people are broken now, I reckon, as I've been reading through this passage, that this man in John chapter 5 is broken in three ways. First of all, he's broken by circumstance. We know that he's sick. Verse 5 says that he was an invalid. Now, we don't know exactly what his physical illnesses were, but whatever it was, he was too weak to be able to get to the pool of Bethesda, too weak to move freely. And you know, physical illness, especially chronic disease, has a way of isolating people so that they feel utterly alone. Every Thursday morning, I have uh, the utter privilege of leading, along with Jeanette, a chair-based exercise class. And uh, for lots of the group, their bodies are slowing down. They creak a little bit more than they used to. And we always have a good giggle together, and we have a good workout but I was speaking to one lady the other day, and she was telling me that her decline in physical health was having a dramatic effect on her mental health too. How her friends were inviting her out less and less, and before too long, she found herself in this vicious cycle of feeling more and more alone. My guess is that this man felt a similar sort of thing. The circumstances that he felt uh, that led him to feel crushed and broken. So second of all, this man was broken by people. In verse 3, it says these um, colonnades. I had to look up what a colonnade was. Apparently, it's like a porch. Um, but this, these porches by the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, there was a great number of disabled lying around, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. You know the word Bethesda, it means house of mercy, which is ironic because this was really a house of misery. 
This was a place where they just stuck the sick people. You see, in ancient times, they did a lousy job of caring for the sick. They didn't have this wonderful institution that we have called the NHS. If you were sick back then, unless you had the money to pay for doctors, you became a beggar on the street or by one of the gates, or you'd simply congregate uh, with all the other sick people at a pool like Bethesda. And uh, as I was reading up about this this week, the Pool of Bethesda, there's some great archaeological evidence, which was very exciting. But I'm guessing you won't be as excited as I am, so I'll just give you uh, the very basics. Okay, the Pool of Bethesda was two or three meters deep. It was a large rectangular pool by the Sheep Gate. And this pool would be used uh, to clean up the sheep, to get them ready for sacrifice in the temple. But alongside all these sheep antics, there would probably be about 300 sick people there every day. And on festival times like this, this great feast, that number would probably swell to more like thousands. And it doesn't take a great imagination to work out what that must have sounded like and looked like and smelt like. A few years ago, I went um, to Ethiopia uh, with a charity called Compassion, and I went into a hospital there, and there were 50 people in this room, and there were two patients, um, two strangers in every single, single bed. And around that bed, there were people, friends, family, mourning as uh, their, fa- their, their family members were um, preparing to die. And whenever I read that passage, I'm taken back to that hospital, that place of sickness, the smell of disease. The Pool of Bethesda was a place of brokenness. But why are they all here? Well, the passage talks about the moving of water. And apparently there was some sort of subterranean spring that went into this pool and it caused the water to bubble up. And legend has it that there was this angel that caused the water to bubble. And when it started to do that, uh, all the sick people around would kind of be elbowing each other out of the way and crawling to get to the pool because they believed that the first person in the pool would be healed. Now, we don't know if anyone was actually healed in that place, but I'm guessing that there was a whole load of disappointment as day after day other people would get in the way of this man's hope of healing. So this man is broken by circumstance, he's broken by people, but he's also broken by time. It says this in verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's nearly four decades. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in that condition for a long time, We're not told how old this man was. He could have been much older than 38, but um, giving my age away here, he's been suffering for two years longer than I've been alive. Some of you are doing the maths, I can tell. Sometimes people say time can heal all wounds. I don't think it does. You see, when faced with physical illness that goes on for month after month, year after year, decade after decade, Helplessness can so easily spiral downwards into hopelessness. And as I've been reading this week, I've really appreciated the honesty of Paul, that great apostle in 2 Corinthians, when he says this, he had suffered 
beyond the ability to endure, so that he even despaired of life itself. And that verse really caught me off guard. That was Paul, this amazing apostle that did all this stuff in the name of Jesus, despairing of life. It says in chapter 11 of that book, I have labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. It's that daily pressure. It takes its toll on a person. Like the psalmist says, my tears have been my food day and night. How is that brokenness expressed? Well, in a number of ways. Depression is one. Anger, another. Breakdown of relationships, substance abuse, antisocial behavior, self-harm, anxiety. We don't often talk about those things in church, do we? can often make us feel uncomfortable and yet that's what brokenness looks like some of us myself included mask it incredibly well but that's what brokenness is like and it surrounds us daily and if there's anyone here today who feels like they are at rock bottom that there is no hope then it would be our absolute privilege to pray with you at the end So we know that people are broken, broken by circumstance, by other people, and by time. But now let's turn our attention to how Jesus loves the broken, how he loved this man. And that will hopefully give us some insight about how we can love the broken that are around us. So Jesus' approach, first of all, he observed with compassion. Notice this. Notice where Jesus is. We're told that Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Jews, probably one of the major three festivals, although we're not told which one. But during those festivals, Jews from all over would gather at the temple. They'd give thanks to God and they'd atone for their sins using sacrifices. And so the temple was this symbol of power. It's where the chief priests and the teachers of the law hung out. It was the place of celebration and thanksgiving the place where God supposedly dwelt. But just a stone's throw away is the pool of Bethesda. And that's where Jesus chooses to hang out. That's where he locates himself. And verse 6 says that Jesus saw the man lying there. Out of this huge, miserable crowd, Jesus sees the one guy. He focuses on the one. See, Jesus was able to speak to huge crowds and afterwards people would say, never has anyone spoken like this man. And yet these one-to-one interactions are key to Jesus' ministry. We see it in the story of Zacchaeus and the woman at the well and Nicodemus and we see it here with this man too. Loving the broken begins with how we see the individuals that God has placed in front of us. One of, my, one of the great stories of the New Testament is when Jesus is surrounded by this huge crowd of people coming up from Galilee and they start coming towards him and it says that he saw them. He saw them and was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like, fe- like sheep without a shepherd. And you know the word compassion in Greek, it literally means to have your guts twisted pretty gruesome, eh? but 
Jesus' guts were twisted as he looked at the brokenness that surrounded him. When my um, son, Ben, was four, I took him along with me to an optician's appointment. And I sat in the big chair, and he kind of was looking around. And the optician kind of asked me to read the lower, you know, the, do you know what I mean, on the eye chart? You know, you have to read the lowest possible one that you possibly can. And so I sat there with one eye covered, and I'm there going, A, E, D, and that one, well, it could be a could be another D, could be an O. And this voice of my little boy who's four, it comes down and says, Mummy, it's an O. And I look down into his face and I can see his thoughts. He's thinking, my future is in the hands of a woman who doesn't even know the alphabet. And I say to him, I say to him, Ben, I can read. I just can't see. My prayer is that God would give us a fresh prescription. I think as Christians, we can sometimes can be so short-sighted. I can be. I get so um, obsessed with my own personal circumstances or problems, and important though they are, that I forget that long-sighted vision, the vision that looks out for others. I don't know about you, but when I scroll through the news headlines or I watch it on the telly. It's just so awful. It can make us feel like there's no hope. But Jesus' approach is to look out for the one, the one broken person he observed with compassion. So here's the second thing that Jesus did. He interacted honestly. In verse 6, Jesus said to the man, do you want to be made well? What kind of question is that? This man has been crippled for 38 years, and Jesus comes along and says, you want to be better? You see, by healing this man, Jesus knew that that would bring about a transformation in this man's life. You see, in those days in the Middle East, a man who was healed would lose a substantial living. He'd been used to lying around, relying on the handouts from other people, and he might not be ready to give all that up and get a job and do some hard labor. So Jesus asks the man, do you want to be made well? Do you want a different life? And notice the man doesn't immediately say yes. It's a bit like um, when you're in town and someone offers you a freebie and you're like, what's the catch here? Notice the man doesn't say yes, but he gives Jesus the lowdown on why he's not been to the pool yet. He's stuck in this rut because he doesn't understand that the one person who can transform his life is standing in right, right there in front of him. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mats and walk. Jesus speaks words of resurrection and life. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And that could have been it, you know, Jesus, another miracle, tick, done. But notice Jesus does something else. Later on, it says this, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again, stop sinning. Or something worse could happen to you. What? What could possibly be worse than 38 years of being broken? You see, Jesus knew, I think, that there was something far worse that could happen. Eternal suffering because of unrepentant sin could mean that this man would be lost eternally. And though physical illness had taken the best years of his life, that unrepentant sin could take his eternity away. Jesus didn't shy away from the subject of sin. 
He interacted honestly. Why? Because he loved him. And you know, loving the broken means speaking about the unbroken gospel. If we merely feed people and clothe people and try and make their lives better, it's only ever temporary. I think there's a a real challenge, a challenge for me, a a challenge for us in this passage to interact honestly with people so that they might experience life in all its fullness in this life and in the next life too. So Jesus observed compassionately, he interacted honestly, and finally he expected adversity. He knew it was coming. Verse 9, this all happened on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had healed him, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this man who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. The Jewish people, they were hunting Jesus down. They were furious. Talk about missing the point. Rather than marveling at this amazing miracle of the healing of this man, who they probably walked past for years and years. Their first thought was about whether this was legal according to the letter of the law. Jesus expected adversity and so slipped away into the crowd that was there. He got away because this wasn't his time to be arrested and crucified. That would come later. But it highlights the fact that loving the unlovely is often misunderstood by those around us. They won't get it. They won't understand why we're choosing to spend time and energy and finances on loving the least, the lost and the lonely. And you know what? Jesus expected adversity, but he carried on loving anyway. He carried on anyway. The rest of the gospel is full of stories of signs and wonders of how Jesus loved and transformed brokenness. And as we draw uh, to a close now, it's that Jesus like compassion that allows something of the kingdom of God to break into the world. When we start to love the broken as Jesus loved the broken, we see the ordinary transformed into the extraordinary. That kind of love, that gut-twisting compassion, that fully values people in society. It welcomes the asylum seekers and the refugees. It prioritizes the poor. It puts the children and the elderly at the front and center. It frees the oppressed and restores the fallen. So God, we ask today that you would give us that fresh prescription to see your kingdom break through on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, draw close to you now. Today, some of us will identify with the broken man at the pool of Bethesda. We might be feeling hopeless and at rock bottom. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to breathe afresh on us now. Your Spirit who brings comfort and hope and healing. God, would you fill us afresh from the tops of our heads to the tips of our toes. 
And God, would you help us to love the broken? May we be drawn to those who are broken by circumstance, by people, and by time. And as that song says, Lord, break our heart for the things that break yours. Show us how to love like you first loved us. In your mighty name we pray, Lord Jesus.